I'm Simone Paget, and welcome to We're Never Doing This Again, a podcast about sex, dating, and all of those weird and wonderful messy experiences that we have no desire to repeat. So excited for today's guest. I have Alyssa O. Oh. She is a writer, performer, uh, my favorite wacky aunt abroad on the internet. Her work focuses on empowering women over 35 to live their life abroad dreams and embrace solo travel. So welcome to the show. I'm so excited you're here. Thank you. I am really psyched to be here. I've been a fan of your podcast for a long time now, and I have never felt so seen um, when it comes to uh, dating and life as a woman over 40 than I have by this podcast. It really, you and your guests have really articulated some things that have been on my mind and on my friends' minds that I'm not seeing in the media and pop culture. So thank you so much for the work that you do, and I'm really glad to be here. Oh, wow. That means so much because I want to create a space for like other wacky aunts. And people who are just doing stuff a little bit differently. Absolutely. And I, I really think you've taken a step towards that. And it's just awesome. I love your videos you put out on Instagram we, where you do like the different personas of people, uh, employers and employees living in other countries. And you posted something the other day that I'm still thinking about, about um, living in like, a coconut country and living in a peach country and i just found that really interesting and now i'm overthinking am i a peach am i a coconut uh, see the thing is i i think like all people have aspects of both but when somebody picks you up and like plops you in another culture all of a sudden these differences you become so much more aware of them and they become so much more distinct and you know here here's my thing and this this uh goes back to like love and relationships and dating as well. Um, I have this thing about the fact that um, a lot of things that we think about love and relationship and friendships, we think that they are universal and that they're given or that they're chemical. They're just neat things ab about humans. And part of that is true. But I think we underestimate how cultural the expectations are and how cultural and societal the expectations are around friendships, dating, relationships, and how much being in a foreign country really puts you in that situation where all, all of a sudden your essence is is distilled and you're trying to figure out exactly like, what are you doing here? How are you relating to other people? And that's been my life's yeah. work for the last nine years since I moved overseas to chase a dream. And I'm, I'm still putting it together every day. So um, I got to the point where I realized I wanted to start sharing more about what this experience is like for me um, on the Internet, mm -hmm. being a single woman living in a foreign country, dating and putting together my unconventional life, sort of not only without a roadmap, but also without the um, sort of cultural roadmap that I would have if I'd stayed at home in the States. And I, I started talking about this. And at first I was like, well, I'll, you know, I'll put up some pretty photos of my travels on Instagram because I love photography. And nobody really gave a crap about that. And then one day I was just, maybe I was just bored. And I was like, well, I'll do a reel where I play all the characters. And I know this is kind of cringe, but I don't care. So um, we were talking a little bit before we started the recording about being theater people. And in my theater community, this spring, we lost a bunch of people too soon, like too young, um, within like, several months of each other. And it was really devastating. 
Um, I wasn't particularly close to any of these people, but they were close friends of my close friends and it was incredibly devastating. And one of the things I kind of thought about as I was, you know, watching friends go through the grieving process and myself was I shouldn't ever be afraid to put myself out there and make art because I'm absolutely sure that the friends that we just lost would love to be having one more chance to make art even if it's just cringy art you know even if it's cringy that nobody ever sees you're alive you're human you're making things and creating and so you know I with that thought in my heart I was like well I have to get a lot braver and start putting myself out there so I started just being goofy in my flat making these reels about cultural differences between the different places I've lived. I live in America, I've lived in Scotland, and I've lived in Switzerland. And all of a sudden, this was this was what people reacted to, was was these differences. And I thought, huh, like, I thought I was the only one who cared about this. But it's, it's really it's really interesting to see how people react, both positively and negatively. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, no, I really love them. And I, yeah, I hear what you're saying about just putting yourself out there. I read a quote if you're something like if you're not being cringe, then you're not really living your life fully because you're not taking chances or trying anything new. You're just sticking in your little box. So I'm all for a little bit of cringe because it's lame to be too cool for something. I agree. I, I think I think we're moving beyond the too too cool thing as a society. And I'm really, really interested to see what blossoms out of this. Yeah, I want to have like a unconventional rich auntie life abroad where I have a house with beautiful objects but also lots of Muppet paraphernalia. Like <laughs> That would be my dream. Like my, my dream is like, uh, you know, I don't know where this money is going to come from because, you know, I'm an artist and an academic. So I don't know where this money is coming from. But in, in, in my dream, I have this house by the sea and it's full of like books and like weird objects that I've collected at thrift stores. And it's got like a big kitchen and people just come and stay with me. And that's that's my thing. And, you know, if you've got a kid who's a teenager and they're acting up and you want to send them off to see the world, send them send them to Auntie Alyssa and I'll take you, I'll take you around in Scotland and I'll take you to London or whatever. And just, you know, give give you that taste of what else is out there. I think uh, that would be a, a dream scenario for me. Yeah, same. I actually um, I'm planning to potentially like move over to Vancouver because I'm on um, Vancouver Island right now. And the rentals are just the prices are crazy right now. But initially, like the goal and it still is the goal is to have like a two bedroom and then have a, an extra room where I can host my niece. She's like a young teenager now, host friends from abroad or do like house swaps where I go visit their place and they come here. Absolutely. Yeah. And having like a house that is uh, my sister describes it as like a mix of like Golden Girls meets like Muppet core where it's like pink and like soft blues and greens, kind of like my Instagram aesthetic. But yeah, it has like weird objects, too. And everybody has to wear a caftan. Like as soon as you come on, you put on a caftan and that that's just it. It's the Golden Girls aesthetic. It's the Golden Girls vibe. And, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I would have a cat. And when you'd arrive, the cat would be wearing a little like bellhop uniform. It would be perfect. Oh, I love it. I love it. I would have a fluffy, a fluffy little dog. <laughs> that would be my dream. Um, so you're are you currently in uh, Scotland? Um, I am currently I'm based in Scotland, but I'm at home in, in the States visiting my family for a few weeks this summer. 
And so that's that's where I am right now. But my my life is in Scotland. I'm a, I'm establishing myself as a as a writer and a playwright in Scotland. Hopefully, right now. <laughs> so that that's kind of where my where my heart is. But I'm I'm at home visiting family, which is nice too. What are the the significant differences you've noticed in dating in Scotland versus the States versus Switzerland? I have to be careful how I frame things because a lot of my experience in Scotland has been um, through the pandemic, which okay. I feel um, people are not necessarily on the top of their game. And it's a little bit disappointing. I don't know about you, but um, I have so many friends who found their person during lockdown. Yeah. Because there was a moment there and it was a moment, unfortunately, I, I didn't get a chance to capitalize on, but there was a moment there where um, you had to connect with people um, on an, first on an intellectual level because you couldn't be seeing each other in person all the time and having kind yeah. of throwaway experiences that you that are normally associated with dating. And then you also had to make a decision. OK, are we in? Are we out? Are we bubbling together or not? And I've had friends have absolutely incredible relationships come out of that like i just went to my first covid romance wedding this fall oh my god yeah yeah it's amazing um a really close friend of mine um met her now husband i think two weeks before lockdown in march of 2020 and they'd been on like three dates when they had to decide like okay are we together or not and they were like yeah let's do this and they bubbled all the way through the pandemic and had you know for real some people's relationships sort of you know, cracked and fell apart during this time. And then other yeah. relationships totally blossomed. So I feel like I, mi- I missed out on that golden opportunity. And I've had a lot of kind of maybe weird, un- uncomfortable experiences in Scotland. Um, so I, I don't want I don't want uh, Scottish dating to come off terribly. When I, <laughs> when I, when I, I find I find um, uh, dating in, in Scotland feels quite similar to, you know, dating as I remember it in America in that it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of, uh, it's a series of very sort of like casual, low, low stakes, low investment kind of interactions, um, with someone who quite frankly has taken very little effort to like vet me or see if they're actually interested in me. Um, and I, I haven't really had a lot of very satisfying outcomes. Like, um, I'm off the apps right now, but a little over a year ago, I was on them. And one of the things I realized I had to do before I met up with people was I had to ask them sort of what I called my barrier to entry questions. <laughs> These are, are literally Simone. They're on my profile, but I don't think I'm, I mostly date men. Sometimes I date women, but I mostly date men. And I think the majority of men, I think they use apps, uh, you know, at least straight men are, are using apps differently than say I would. And I don't actually mm-hmm. think they're drilling down into the substance of what does this person put on their profile? I think a lot of, I don't want to be, I don't want to get in trouble, but like a lot of them, I think are playing hot or not and being like, okay, you're hot, you're hot, you're hot, you're hot. And they're not looking into the meat of the matter. Like, okay, this, this, this person is good looking, but like, do we have anything in common? So before, which is, I think that's fine when you're just matching with people, but when it gets to the point where you're having a conversation with someone now it's time to drill into like some like, OK, is this someone I could sit down at least and have a, a coffee with for an hour? And, you know, are, are we aligned with what we're looking for? So what I would start to say um, and I just started this last year and I really recommend it. So what, what I would say was first I would ask, like, you know, what are you looking for on this app? And instead of me, because I already have what I want on the app, but I would say, what are you looking for on the app? And if the guy was really cagey about it or mm. uh, if he sometimes they come right out and say, well, I'm not looking for anything serious. And I'd say, 
okay, that's cool, but I'm, I'm not looking to jump into a serious relationship right away, but I'm looking towards dating with an eye to really getting to know someone. So if you're just looking for fun, I don't think we should bother to meet up. And that was empowering. Yeah. Like empowering. I had a couple of guys just say to me straight up, you know what? I am just looking for fun. And thanks so much for mentioning this. You seem super cool. I hope you find what you're looking for. And I was like, great. You seem super cool too. I hope you go out and, you know, have tons of fun with like all the wrong people and, and, you know, have some great stories. It's great, man. So that was, that was really freeing. And, and then if a guy was cagey that said something and, you know, so, you know, just instead of, I like the idea of putting myself in a position where, you know, I wasn't sort of being like, well, I'm looking for a relationship because I, I think that, that, that sort of changes, changes the dynamic of the conversation. If I ask somebody else and they're not filtering their answer through what I say I'm looking for, then I get a more like raw and real response. So I asked that and that was very telling. And then um, I asked some other basic things like um, I, I no longer drink alcohol. It's not like a moral thing. It's just, I'm now I'm over 40 and um, I don't really feel like having two glasses of wine on a crappy first date is worth a three day hangover anymore. So, yes, <laughs> you know, I don't do that anymore. And I, I have like I don't drink on my profile, but like, um, you know, a lot of guys, especially in Scotland, there's a big drinking culture. Um, yes. Yeah. And I like I don't mean to stereotype, but it's a huge part. Going to the pub is a huge part of people's lives. Um, it's sort of more than it is in other places that I live. So I say, is it OK with you if I don't drink? Because I you know, have a little no drinking icon on my profile and um, they either say yes or no. And then I've, I've had some guys say it's OK and then um, really get weird about it later. Like a, this date is over type weird. <laughs> like um, and one guy kind of like stop responding to like any questions I, I asked of him on a date when I was like, yeah, I don't drink anymore. And I was like, Ooh, did he not, did he not read that? You know, anyway, so I would ask that. And then, um, this was like o- over a year ago, we had a really like a deep lockdown in Scotland where you really could barely leave the house. And we were just coming at, and, um, I was like, well, what are you, your views on COVID dating? Cause I, I really wasn't comfortable like going to crowded bars and blah, 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 you know, and I would be really more comfortable, like, you know, just going, doing outdoor dates and stuff like that. So um, I'd say, like, what's your policy on COVID? And if somebody said to me, like, you know, if they were first, if they were like, you know, COVID's a hoax, you know, I'd be like, okay, <laughs> immediately. Um, or I, the other response I used to get, which I, I think is so funny, is people, I had more than one person say to me, I'm fully vaxxed and I'm ready to party like it's 2019. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't know if that's like, you know how on dating apps, everybody has to sort of be like, I'm fun. I'm the most fun person. I am so fun. I don't know whether it comes from that, you know, um, you know, wanting to sort of impress me and say what you think I want or whether they really are ready to party like it's 2019. And I was not ready. I was like, I kind of want to like grab a coffee and go for a walk in a beautiful outdoor space. I'm not kind of willing to like kind of like shoot my shot with COVID going on a blind date with someone who I'm probably never going to call again. So I would ask those three questions and they were really, they were really telling. It didn't spark any long-term relationships, but it was really, this is the thing about dating apps is that I have never found a quality connection with someone on a dating app, but it has taught me so much about what I want out of life and about setting boundaries unapologetically that it's been a hugely valuable experience for me and no matter what happens in the future. I don't know if that's how you feel or what. <laughs> yeah. So I think like when I was still using the apps, like I hadn't really fully grasped how to set those boundaries for myself. So I haven't really used apps 
more than just like I like I haven't gone on any dates from people I've met on apps in probably like four years. But now I'm curious to see what it would be like to go back and establish those kinds of boundaries, because I do have a friend. um, She's one of my best friends who lives in Toronto. And she before she met her husband, who she actually met like offline. But before that, she was on the apps quite heavily. And she'd ask like really hardball questions, like right out the gate. Like, what are your thoughts on commitment? I love her so much. She's a fabulous businesswoman and power player and this was like and she's like yeah you learn a lot like by just letting people kind of talk and kind of hang themselves yeah I was like maybe for me I'm like maybe I'd go with like more softball questions but I really like the ones you came up with because yeah I feel like too often like when I look back on my own experiences dating like in my 30s I let the other person kind of lead the narrative yes I was on sort of these, which is there's value in this too, like exploratory paths, following the other person's lead and seeing where it led me, which often like was not necessarily good places. But for me, I don't want to, quote unquote, party like it's 2019 because I'm not the same. I don't feel like I'm the same person that I was in 2019. No way. (laughs) (laughs) I like went into a cocoon over lockdown and inadvertently ended up doing like so much shadow work Mm -hmm. that I'm like completely different I did hypnotherapy during lockdown because I had nothing better to do and I came out of it into these social situations a completely different person like for the better but I am not 2019 me she has left the building yeah so yeah yeah like I also did a lot of sort of personal work during the pandemic and you know just like a bunch of life stuff happened like my dad was permanently hospitalized and then he passed away a few months ago and I have a friend who's like who recently moved back who's been living uh in New Zealand and they had a completely different experience of the pandemic there it sounds like and I think she actually does want to party like it's 2019 and I like I don't know I just can't like wrap my head around it like I still want to have fun but my definition of fun and like where I'm willing to spend my energy both like with social events as well as like romantic partners is very different than it was like five years ago I'm I'm feeling the same way and a lot of where I find I want to spend my energy is on like friendships and sort of restorative experiences like um I've developed this group of friends who is into ecstatic dance and movement and so I'm taking every dance class which is amazing and then I've also developed a group of friends who are into what in Scotland we call wild swimming I I don't know if that's yeah and it's it's when you go out and you swim in in frigid water in the sea all year round and I'm not super hardcore about it like I I haven't gone in properly in the winter yet but I've become this like tackling sea witch on a beach like pulling tarot cards with my like, you know, other sea witch friends and like diving into cold water and like doing like full moon rituals. And I'm so here for this part of my life. But I'm like, I just don't know how masculine energy fits into this like sea witch <laughs> lifestyle that I'm living now. And I'm super happy this way. Um, and I, I just don't know how I would integrate that into the rest of my life. <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm confident that like if you keep 
doing the things you love and like putting out the energy that you want to attract, you'll attract the right people. But I'm not confident that you'd find like good merman sea witch energy like on a dating app. But I'm like super cynical about that. Yeah, I I I feel I feel the same way. I feel like the best the best connections that I've had romantically in the last few years did not come from a dating app. And they like one in particular came from like a like a slow burn friendship that lasted two years before we ever met in person. Um yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. And that that was another one of those things where um, you know, um I connected with this person during like we were both like in different countries, like deepest, darkest lockdown, locked down, like couldn't leave the house. And so we had to communicate on a really genuine level. And it was a friendship first before it was like um, any kind of like romantic relationship. And that was the most quality. It didn't work out for other reasons. And we're still friends. But that was something you could never, even though it was an internet connection, that was something you could never get on a dating app because we both genuinely connected with each other no expectations and just got to know each other without that sort of transactionary feeling like that you can get on yeah i don't really think that's possible to replicate but that's the way i prefer to connect with people so it's it's really you end up kind of at a loss with um some of these things if 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 apps aren't your bag and you're not into like sort of gaming the system and playing it like I, a good friend of mine met her husband on a dating app and she's like well it's a it's just a numbers game it's just like the more dates you go on Eventually, you'll go out with with someone that you really like. And I'm like, that just doesn't seem like a good use of my time. <laughs> yeah. like I was like, oh, so you're telling me I have to go on like 50, 100 dates or whatever before I meet one good person? Like, no. And, and, and then there's those people who went on like three dates and met the love of their life. And I hate those people the most because they're like, yeah, it was easy. I went on, and I'm like, I've been on 3,000 dates and I've met jokers and weirdos that i'm about to talk about on a podcast like <laughs> i i it's own like i went on my first date in 1996 i am a green beret yes. of dating i have seen i am like a vietnam fucking vet i'm sorry if i can't well, you're on this podcast <laughs> when it comes to dating i'm like rambo i've got like you know like the grease on my face and like a bandit normal like, like totally gone rogue like i, I just like I, I'm, I'm so done with that part of my life. I just like I'm, like I said, I'm in my sea witch era, and it's like I can't believe I have to keep doing this. <laughs> yeah, I like dating was so bad. I had to make an entire <laughs> podcast about and, it. You know, you know what's really great about that is that um, I think sometimes when you're alone in in this uh this dating world, you you feel like oh well, you know, there's something I'm doing wrong. There's something wrong with the way I'm putting myself out there. That I'm connecting with sort of like jerks and weirdos and having these sort of low quality interactions. But then I hear other intelligent, creative women like yourself and all your guests who are struggling with all the same things. And I'm like, it's not just me. <laughs> no, there's like something fundamentally weird. I can't I can't fully blame online dating apps either, because like even before I started dating online, I had like some of the most yes. bizarre dates and. It's just there's something about the experience. Maybe it's like a North American thing. There's something fundamentally broken, too, with the system now because it's like combined the worst. It's combined like the hilarious weirdness of dating with like the transactional nature of kind of like late stage capitalism and like 
internet culture. Yeah, it, it's not a good thing to be in. And I don't quite know how to get out of it. But one one actually takeaway I actually had from your podcast was um, uh, the idea of deprioritizing dating. Um, you had one guest, I yeah. think, touch on that. And it's not that I don't want to date. It's not that I don't want to meet someone. But I have all of these other really I- incredibly juicy things going on in my life right now. And yes. I'm not really interested in in putting those on the back burner so I can make finding a partner my my part time gig with all of my other gigs that going on. Um, so uh, I'm just sort of deprioritizing it, and I will. I'm, I'm just not worrying about. It. I'm not on any apps at all right now, and I'm really happy. I don't miss it. Yeah, like when I think of the amount of energy I have to devote to other people on a weekly basis. I want to do things that I know are going to be a return on investment as far as fun. So going for brunch with my friends or like going on little adventures or just going alone to eat like a bunch of tacos. Those are things that like I know will bring me joy. And I don't want to divide up like my limited free time to doing stuff that probably based on past experience isn't going to be that fun. Because when I was dating heavily, I also was like drinking quite heavily. So I think that also skewed like the idea of like what was fun and what was like a good match and what was like attraction. So now that I've kind of removed that. I still drink a little bit, but like quite mm. lightly. Yeah. Removing that filter allows me to see people a lot more clearly. And I know like I've had another few guests say the same things and like conversations with friends as well that since they've quit drinking that yeah, they're seeing people more clearly that they meet for a first time. And yeah, you're, I feel like I, I'd be less likely to let some real weirdos slip through the net. True, true. And I, I think that's a really powerful thing. And it, it really, it makes me kind of look at my behavior when I was in a different space, totally differently. Because when I first started uh, like using dating apps, actually, it, it was when I first moved to Zurich. Because before that, I had been living in Boston. I'd been in a really serious long-term committed relationship and I would look at other people on apps and I'd be like I'm glad I'll never have to do that again and then all of a sudden I was back in the pool again and I was like oh great um actually (laughs) using dating apps in a foreign country can actually be a pretty decent way of like um learning the culture learning like I figured out where all the cool bars were I learned how to eat ingredients I I found out where the good restaurants were so in that way it was instructive but I wasn't being like I was just throwing spaghetti at the wall and and seeing what oh, stuck. Right. And one of the things I found about sort of pre-pandemic me was I was very interested. It didn't sort of matter to me if I really liked the other person or thought they were a good person. I really wanted them to like me. So I was really into being like super entertaining. Yes. Like it's the Alyssa show. Ha 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 ha. Like I'm this guy is going to give me like a five star Yelp review after our date because I'm so great and funny. And I'd never be like stopping to be like, this dude is kind of nagging me or this dude drank mm-hmm. way too much. And he's now monologuing about his ex who he broke up with five years ago. And I don't think he's ready for anything. And this is actually a huge turnoff or or this guy, you know, um, texts me once every month or two and then just sort of expects me to like, like show up at his flat. Like, I I wasn't thinking like, um, you know, do I accept this behavior? Is this the energy I want in my life? I was just like, okay, I'm single. So I have to be open to everything. And you know what? Like, I'm a fun, spontaneous yeah. person, but I realized I am just not, I am not down for whatever. 
I am not. That is not who I am. <laughs> I actually talked about this in the last episode with someone that it's easy for me to like go into sort of performer mode. Yes. Where I'm trying to impress the other person and be smart and clever and funny. And I was telling another friend of mine like a few years ago that based on like the type of guy I know is I've been on enough dates to know exactly kind of like especially sort of nerdy nerdy guys with like like white guys with beards yes! you can't see me but I'm like speculating wildly right now like oh my god I yes <laughs> this is me <laughs> there's like these this certain kind of guy on the west coast who it's very easy for me to go out with them because I know exactly like which cultural references to draw yeah. to get them to like me and what kind of girl they're looking for. But I realize like I I don't like them. I'm not really interested in them. But it was it became kind of like a game to see if I could get them to like me and then kind of transferring their liking me onto, oh, well, maybe I like them because yeah. I like the attention. But like something always felt out of step for me. Because like I wasn't really attracted to them. It was just because they were there and I was single. And this is sort of what I was told single people or what we were all told, like what single yeah. people should do. It's like if you're single, you should be looking for someone. Exactly. That's, that's the default. That's the default is you're always selling yourself. And like, yeah, for me, it's like I'm very good at playing that that cool chick. Like, the, the, you know, I'm definitely like the yes. one that got away in high school or college, that cool chick. With like, you know, she shows up in her Doc Martens with her band T-shirt and she's sarcastic and, you know, mm -hmm. oh, like there's I'm yes, a <laughs> Jeff Leopard T-shirt. <laughs> exactly like that, you know, and I'm, I'm so good at playing that role. And like that is me to a certain extent. But like I'm also all of these other things. And those things are all like they're exterior things. I, I don't really care. Like I could I would never have said this about myself like, you know, 15, 20 years ago. But like I could Maybe I could date someone with real crap taste in music if I knew that they were like an amazing person on the inside or if I knew they had really had themselves. Somebody who's done the emotional work and who's uh, like emotionally literate and available, a, a grown up, an adult who is like in charge of their own life and um, is like living, living in the present and knows what they want out of life and, you know, knows how to communicate and be like a full partner. That to me is like so much sexier and so much more important than like, you know what you know what Wes Anderson film do you want to deconstruct with me like I went to film school and it was like you know it like you you'd be in someone's dorm room like you yeah. know like oh I have to say something really really clever about the art direction of this film like that's like baggage from your early 20s and now we're adults like let's <laughs> let's let's you know dig deeper and find like uh, like a more quality connection but we're so it's a script that you're handed when you're Again, when you go on your first date in 1996, it's the script that you're handed and it doesn't work for adult dating. Yeah, no, I fully agree. And yeah, since I've kind of let go of the script, I am spending more time by myself, but it's so much more satisfying. Yeah, same. I think like um, if you are going to sort of um, like go on this journey, you have to get really comfortable with the fact that like you are going to spend more time alone. and. That can be really scary, but yeah. I, I actually think once you once you get into it, now I love spending time on my own. I absolutely love it. Me too. Yeah, and I can't imagine. I was I really think when it comes to like even fr friendships or you know professional relationships, dating, you know, I feel like the lockdown that I went through in in the UK, which was so strict, was like I, I went through and like 
staged my life and like like went through cleaned everything out and like yes. like brought everything back to zero. And now I'm very mindfully thinking about like what am I going to bring back into my home? What kind of energy do I want? What do I not want? And that means that like um some friendships and relationships like um or different types of people that like I would just kind of like welcome into my like sacred space. They're not they're not being invited mm-hmm. in a- again. And it's it's not a cruel thing. It's not a cutting thing. It's just like, well, what do I want to focus my energy on? Not that person who's always competing like with me. And then maybe not that person who only texts me when, you know, it's convenient for them and is not really there for me otherwise. So like that has been so incredibly freeing. And I would say it's so much less. Oh God, it's so much less work to just be be alone and be content with yourself than it is trying to uh, trying to make something work with the wrong kind of cast of characters in your life. Yeah, and I'm even like really dialed back on like casual hookups and stuff because I just feel like this has been over the past few years. Like I don't want to contaminate. This sounds like really woo woo, but I don't really want to contaminate my own energy with someone else's. Like, I don't know. It just doesn't feel good to, like you said, bring them into your own space yeah. and like your own heart even. Yeah, that that re- that resonates with me. My my heart is very permeable. And I know that like if I'm like spending a lot of time with someone or even just a little bit of time with someone, I'm going to start caring about them and their lives. And it's going to start bothering me if they don't treat me well. And that's just a fact. Like, it's not malleable. I'm in my 40s. That's not going to change. So I change my behavior yeah. and be more thoughtful about who I interact with, even if it means I don't have all of these like crazy hookups, which to be honest with you, that's never where I've gotten like the most quality, like out of my dating and sex. Like, no. no, they're just good stories. Like, that's what they are. They're, you're, you're doing it and you're like, you know, this is this is kind of weird, but it's going to be a great story when I tell my friends <laughs> next time we go out to brunch. And I don't I've got all those. I've got them. <laughs> I don't more of that now we're like veterans like in the army like where we have like the medals and like we're decorated we are we're green berets we're decorated we've got like the purple heart like (laughs) (laughs) oh my god i love i i feel like we need to make like this as a halloween costume absolutely (laughs) or you need to make a video where i see you like painting on like the war paint oh my god yes that's what it feels like sometimes. I know you mentioned dating in Scotland and how it was similar in some ways to dating in North America. But have you noticed dating in Switzerland? Is it different? So different. I, I have so many stories. I'm trying to like latch on to like one kind of red. But it definitely um, there, Switzerland is definitely a coconut culture. And um, I always say that like I could have met the love of my life in Switzerland. And I would never know because Swiss folks are very like reserved and formal. I did a reel about this that hasn't come out yet. Like, um, but um, it's, it's very, um, it's very normal. Like you have a really tight group of friends that you've known since early childhood. Um, you don't let too many people in the group and it's actually really normal in Switzerland to, um, when you're early dating someone, you invite them on a group hang with all of your friends to see if they sort of mesh well with the group because they really have this idea of integration and harmony that's hugely important to Swiss. Okay. But I didn't know this when I first moved there. And um, 
I got asked out by this really cute Swiss guy at this festival called Zurich Open Air. And the the things about Swiss people is like they're not um, sort of like open and effusive on like average everyday normal days. But if you get them in like a festival or a party like um, Street Parade, which is the biggest uh, the biggest techno music festival in the world is in the middle of Zurich. I mean, it's like orgiastic. It's like like it's something from Dante's Inferno. It's just like sweaty bodies and like you don't even know who's doing what to who. And like, but ev- but everything is like friendly and consensual. And you you never even see like a police presence because everybody's intoxicated, but also behaving themselves. So if you you put them in a, in like a situation where um, it's sort of like this is the rubber stamp, this is our time to party and let loose, they become very friendly. So I met this guy. He was really cute. And he asked me to go um, to a concert. He was like, really, guy with guy with a beard. Um, <laughs> he had like a Swiss uh, nickname with like a bunch of umlauts. Like they always have these like cutesy Swiss, like 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 Rafi or Broly or like you know something like that. And I was like, oh my yeah. god, he's so cute. And you know, he's like texting me beforehand. And then I get to the venue, and he's got like five friends with him. And I'm like okay I, I thought this was a date but you've got your five friends here and of course they're all speaking swiss german and i don't know if you know anything about swiss german but it's it's a different language to how deutsch and it's something that's it it's like differs from village to village in switzerland so um the, the okay. swiss german that they speak in zurich might be totally different than the swiss german they speak in lucerne or in Bern. and swiss people sometimes or, or yeah and forget about like some dialect out in the mountains so Sometimes they don't even understand each other, which was a real comfort to me. Like, it's hard to understand. So, so I, I, I couldn't even just like <laughs> nod along and be like, yep, okay. So I, I, at one point I was like, I, I guess this guy doesn't like me. So I started kind of flirting with his buddy because I was like, okay, I guess he just invited me on his boys night out. And his buddy was kind of like, in, in retrospect, he was kind of like trying to redirect me to his friend. And I was kind of like, well, why the heck is he doing that? Because it's obviously his friend doesn't like me. Mm-hmm. Later, someone explained to me, like, no, this is this is totally normal. Um, you know, Swiss people really value I- integration into the group of friends. So he was, you know, inviting you into his group of friends. And I was like, oh, wow. And I had so many moments like that. Or, you know, where or it would be somebody who was, like, really reserved at a first date and, like, talking to me. I know it's very stereotypical, but talking to me about, like, well, how's your health insurance? Are you happy with your, you know, are you happy with your plan? Like these types of quiz all, you know, Zurich is a lot of, like a lot of finance people. And I'm like, God, why is he talking to me about that? Like this person could have been the love of my life. But I'm because it's a coconut culture. I was misinterpreting signals and thinking, mm-hmm. uh, obviously they don't like me. I don't have an opening and being like, okay, well, all right, forget that guy. So-, <laughs> so for people who don't know a coconut culture, it is like a culture with like a hard exterior but like once you crack through the exterior, it's just like really sweet on yeah. the inside. And there's like lots going on on the inside. And then a peach culture is it's easy to break into, but then you hit a certain resistance point or like a pit. That's right. Exactly. Which sounds kind of like Canada to a certain extent. And uh, America as well, like it's a little bit different, like regionally, but like people will be really sweet and friendly on the outside, but like you know, and you'll think you're really good friends, but then they're not going to help you move. Like, then they're not going to pick up the phone if you call them in the middle of the night. Whereas, like, people in Switzerland and other Germanic cultures have a really hard exterior. But once you're in, they'll do anything for you. Like, I, I, I left there five years ago, and I still have friends who literally, they're, they're, you know, would do anything for me. And I would do, they're like, you can come with us for as long as you want. And I'm like, really? And like, I know, period. 
Like, and so, and I don't have relationships with that, you know, even sometimes uh, like at home. So um, it, it can be very rich and rewarding, but it's so, it's so demoralizing to like try to try to crack into it. You really have to get clear on like who you are and what your worth is because you don't get a lot of positive feedback from other people at first. Yeah. Like I have a German friend who said to like dating in Germany versus here, she says that the guys here, she's like, even if you're in a relationship with them, all they seem to think about is sex. It's very transactional. Whereas she said in Germany, there's a lot more romance, although it like might take longer for you to get to know the person. It's more sort of romantic. It's more like intellectual. There's kind of like a slower burn until, you know, you're in a relationship and then it's yeah, it's not this kind of like, I'm a man. I need to get laid yeah i mean there's plenty of like jerks looking to get laid everywhere and that at some point that will segue into my yeah. worst date story but i don't think we're there yet but that's that <laughs> spoiler alert <laughs> but um yeah there's plenty of jerks any everywhere but i i do feel like there's more of like um when in germanic culture when somebody invests in you and spends time with you that's an investment and they mm-hmm. are they're going to help you they're going to help fixing your bicycle is such a huge thing if you date a German guy they will fix, they'll fix your bicycle they'll fix your internet it's like love languages you know what I mean they're not going to be effusive and be like baby I love you so much you know all day every day which that can get sort of like um irritating after a while but like when to shove that person is there for you and showing up and as someone with kind of like an anxious attachment style I, I think something like that could be really, really good for me. So maybe, maybe I, <laughs> maybe I need to find a German boyfriend. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I spent a week in Berlin last summer and really enjoyed just this sort of completely different approach to everything. I didn't go on any dates, but I, I appreciate a lot about just like their approach to life and like quality of life. Like just seeing in the evening, like people aren't home on Netflix, like they're, out with their friends, riding bikes, like sitting by the river, oh. talking. Oh, yeah. They're out like like in the park. Yeah, you know, like, you know, they're in a park with like a bottle of wine. They're taking walks. They're cycling. They're like having quality time. Oh, I love it. Berlin is such a cool city. Like I, I could see myself living there. Um, It's a great city for arts. It's a great yeah. city for writers. It's a great city for theater. It's a, just a great city. Yeah, I just really enjoyed it. And like I was there in the summer, obviously, so I don't know what it's like in the winter, but just like the their quality of life seemed a lot better than ours. Like the food was mm. less expensive. If you wanted to like go out to eat something, you know, I wasn't eating at like super fancy restaurants, like just like a normal restaurant. It was very reasonable as compared to what you pay here I, and what you I, get. I, I think the so, cost of living in Germany in general is really well controlled. Um, and then, um, yeah. the other thing that I do that it's sort of, it's sort of sneaky daydreamy, but, um, I belong to this Facebook group that all flats in Berlin for let. And I, I don't think there's a, I'm not like planning on going back to live in Berlin anytime soon, although like, you know, maybe never say never, but I, I belong to this group just so I can look at people's incredibly cool flats in Berlin. It, like a lot of like, really sort of like, you know, antique spaces that have been like, you know, like very carefully curated with like just plants and a mattress on the floor and a bicycle and they all look so cool and they're so cheap. It's like, here's this gorgeous with floor to ceiling windows and, um, you know, in a really cool neighborhood and it's 700 euros a month to sublet. And I'm like, 
just daydreaming about my, maybe I do need to move to Berlin. Um, dating in Berlin, I actually did go on Tinder in Berlin and um, dating in Berlin can be like, uh, because I think Berlin is so artsy, you do get a lot of like kind of douchebag energy. Like I'm too cool and I've got my mustache and my fixie bike. And there was actually a guy on Tinder in Berlin who had, um, he had Joseph Stalin's uh, like um, as Joseph Stalin as his pro his profile picture because like let's face it Stalin was a stone fox like he was a hipster look look at photos of Stalin he's like my hipster boyfriend and his whole profile was like written from the perspective of like Joseph Stalin as like a Berlin hipster and I was like I kind of want to swipe right on this guy but I don't know how far he's gonna take this joke and like. <laughs> Could you could you imagine could you imagine if someone actually got catfished by a picture of it Joseph would be Stalin? Like, it would be because I I get like morbidly curious and I'm like maybe I will talk to this like you know person with a completely bizarre profile because I'm just curious. <laughs> like it's very dangerous. I mean, I went to a camp in the woods for single adults, which I've talked about on the podcast before, and. My journalist friend that I went with, we found in our cabin when we walked in, there was just like, there was bunk beds and there was like a broom tucked into bed in one of the beds. And we're like, that's really weird. And she like stole it from the camp, took it back to New York City. And while I was visiting her, we like made the broom a Tinder profile. <laughs> and his his name was like Brom Broom, but with like all the germ Germanic like accents in it. And he was like he's like living my best life in this city that never oh, sweeps. <laughs> I screenshotted a bunch of the replies because they were so earnest and people were like so excited to see. They're like, wow, this is the best profile I've seen all week. That really says something about like what, you know, what, what we're really, what our secret hopes and wishes are for dating. Like, <laughs> Yeah, uh, there's like pictures of like Brome the broom, like on the high line, like if we walk. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I'll have to like upload those photos somewhere because they're, they're really funny. And, and people, yeah, I think people were so kind of bogged down by, I guess, like, dating in New York is pretty cutthroat. And this was just something totally ridiculous. But eventually he did get banned from, from Tinder. Oh, he's missing it. For not being real. Does Joe the intern have a Tinder profile yet? No, but I'm tempted to make one for him. He would, I think he'd be hilarious. Yeah, he'd get a lot of action. Yeah. Years ago, when I was on Tinder, or I think it was OK Cupid, I actually went on a date with a guy whose like profile was just him in a scuba suit, <laughs> just for kicks. <laughs> that should tell you like what kind of time I had on my hands back then. <laughs> oh my goodness! So I am so curious about your date story. Oh God! Did this was a date that I went on in Zurich and. So to, to start the story, I will just say that like you, I usually date like nerdy white guys with glasses who like, you know, they probably pay, play in a band or they were in a band or, you know, that it's usually that kind of vibe. I'm like, you know, I'm like crack cocaine to those men. And so that's usually my my type, my wheelhouse on Tinder. But um, one weekend in Zurich, this is the thing about being an expat is that um, sometimes like, you know, 
your friends all go off for the weekend and you're like, I got nothing to do this weekend and go on Tinder and go on a date. And like I said, that's how I discovered the city and blah, blah, blah. So I'm going, I'm swiping. Um, there's this guy who's like kind of more metrosexual than I'm like, you know, used to like, like seeing, you know, not my usual type, but you know, I swiped on him. He was, he was good looking. He's good, com- good chat for the little back and forth chat that we had. And most importantly, he was free on a Saturday. So, um, I decided to make a date with him. So we show up to the date and he starts talking. And first of all, he tells me, and by the way, Simone, I have no idea if any of this is true. I am not tapped into this world at all. He tells me that he's an ex-professional footballer. You you okay. obviously know how huge football is in Europe. It's like being a rock star. And so I he was sort of expecting me yeah. to fall all over him because, you know, he was at first, that was his first thing that he dropped down. Oh, I'm an ex-professional footballer. And, you know, he's kind of expecting me to like be like, well, then, you know, <laughs> goodbye panties. Like, you know, this is usually all he has to say to women. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, OK. Um, and, you know, I, actually, it's kind of funny that the power dynamic that changes when you go on a date with a guy who's used to having a lot of power and social cache with women and you're not into that kind of stuff. I actually think they really like it. Like, um, like Zurich is a big finance city. And I also went, went out with a couple of kind of like high powered finance guys. And usually I think all they have to say is like, I work at a, a you know, a, like a hedge fund or whatever. And, and women are like, oh, the kind of women mm-hmm. they're used to dating are like, oh, and that's all they have to do. But I'm like, you know, whatever. I don't care. Like, <laughs> and they're like, oh, I have to work. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it, you know, they get, you know, it activates whatever challenge, you know, game, whatever that they are interested in playing. So he tells me he's a professional footballer i'm like "Mm, okay and he's like and i dated a laker girl when i was living in california and you know i am not a laker girl i think i'm really cute by the way but i'm not like that's just that's just a different level of like the way you present yourself is totally totally different so also like why would he mention that like that kind of feels like oh it was we're getting there we're getting there it was it wasn't it and that's actually a great segue because I realized sort of further into the date. So we started and it was like a normal day. You know, we went to a pub. We were, you know, having drinks and um, yeah, we were having drinks and, you know, chicken wings, I think, or something really casual. And he's talking to me at the night we're on and he's like, I really think you're a really sweet girl. I want you to meet my mom. Um, You should come to Neuchatel and meet my mother sometimes. And Neuchatel is all the way over in French speaking Switzerland. It's like three hours away. And in retrospect, I think maybe he said that because he fucking lives with his mom. I'm not sure, you know, ex-footballer with all that he lives with his mom, you know, in which So this is this is getting suspicious. And so, you know, the first thing he kind of does that I think first he's like totally like laid back and normal. The first thing that he does, I think, is kind of sleazy. Like you're kind of, you know, transitioning to a different tone or vibe for this date. And he's like rolling up his sleeves and like showing me his tattoos. And he's got a tattoo of Whitney Houston on one bicep and Michael Jackson on the other. Because he said they are his mother's favorite artist. What? This is the first sort of, it's not a red flag. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, some multicolored flag, like where it's like, okay, okay. I feel like that fa- that flag is like somewhere between like beige and Yeah. Pink. So so that was the first moment. And that when he's like asking me to like meet his mother on the first date, I was like, this is interesting. I'm going to, I have to. Also, like, Michael Jackson's, like, a total child molester and sexual predator. 
Yes, yes, he is. That's like the last thing I'd want to see like when I was in bed with someone is like if I was like going down on them or something and like you like go south and see like Michael Jackson. I mean, that's that's like a that's a that that's a like a game ender for me. That is a game ender. And I asked him why. I was like genuinely curious. And he was like, Well, because I think he's one of the greatest artists of all time. And he's also my mom, one of my mom's favorite artists. And I was like, Okay, if it's a tribute to your mom, I guess I'll see that. Like, you know, it is kind of I think it is a little bit baller to have a tattoo of Whitney Houston on your arm. As a, as a guy, I think it's kind of baller. Yeah. It, was, it was actually like a, a good tattoo, too. It wasn't a bad tattoo. So I was like, okay, it's okay. A, little, a little weird, a little weird. Then he brings us to the next um, the, the next location and, you know, you know, more alcohol flows. He's buying my drinks, which uh, footnote that we didn't actually touch on earlier is that in Germanic culture, they're also very into equality. So it's very normal date 50 50 mm-hmm. in fact i i had guys when i first went to uh switzerland would come straight out to me on the first date and say look i know you're american and american girls are used to the guy paying but we don't do that here and i was like great that's totally freeing for me because um i think it really changes the dynamic of the date when you feel like somebody doesn't owe you anything so i love that and so it's very unusual for like a swiss guy to be like buying you drinks like you know american guy you know maybe a canadian guy would would be like buying the you know especially if they want to get you into bed or Get you back to Neuchatel with Mama, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, but that's less, you know, that's less Swiss. So he starts buying me all these drinks, and then you know, flirting with me. And the first thing he says to me is like, "Do you kiss on the first date?" Which is like, like that is such. I was like, "What a player!" Like that is such. And this was around the same time he mentioned like mm-hmm. he's gone out with a Laker girl. He's like, "Do you kiss on the first date?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure." And um. He's like, well, would you kiss me? And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll kiss you. So we kiss, and you know, he's a good kisser, and blah blah blah. Um, and after that, it was like the game was on. He was using pickup artist, like textbook pickup artist techniques on me, and I knew it was happening. But I was just so bizarrely fascinated by it that I was like playing along in this weird way. So he was like doing this thing where he'd be like taking me to all these different bars and like we'd sit in one bar have a drink he'd be like no no now we have to go to this other place now i'm going to show you this other place let me show you around let me show you here because um (laughs) he's trying to confuse me so that i'll forget how many drinks i had and i and he kept saying to me at one point he was like you're in the middle of zurich you don't even know where you are and i was like ha, you know zurich not that big of a city and i've lived here for four years i know exactly where i am buddy so finally at the end of the night and he did you know did that nag and all that stuff and i was like wow he is textbook like i was almost just fascinated i had never usually i go on dates with like weird self-loathing man child weirdos who are like gonna talk to me about their issues with uh, their mom or something like that but you know this is like totally it was a novelty honestly (laughs) um Okay, I just kind of want to yeah. see what happens. And I'm at a certain point, I'm like, okay, it's time for me to walk back to the the help van off the central station because everybody goes everywhere on the train there. And we get back there and he kisses me goodnight. And he's like, I really want you to come home to Neuchatel. And I was like, I'm not, sorry, I'm not coming home to Neuchatel with you. And he was like, well, how about I come home with you? And I was like, haha, that's not happening. And he it's pressuring me yeah. to come, to, to um, go bring bring him home. And I have this moment and trigger warning to anybody um, who is listening to this in the future. You might want to like maybe skip ahead 30 seconds. I had this moment. I think it's a moment that um, all of us, unfortunately, who are female presenting have when we date where you look someone in the eyes and you think to yourself before you like progress this date, is this person capable of sexually assaulting me? 
And I kind of looked him in the eyes and I made that assessment. And I was like, if I bring this guy home, he will, he will assault me. Cause I wasn't interested in sleeping with him. I thought yeah. he was, I thought he was kind of weird and obnoxious and really pushy about a, a pushy about kissing. So he's going to be pushy about other stuff too. And I was like, I want this date to end here. This is right now, this is a weird, funny story, but it's going to get dark if I bring him home. So I was like, yeah. nope, sorry. And he starts trying to follow me to the train platform. So I did something I think really clever instead of going, he doesn't know where my train platform is because it's a huge train station. So instead of going to the train station, I walk outside as if I'm going to like go out and under the stairs and I walk right to a taxi stand. I get into the taxi. I shut the door and I just say to the taxi driver, drive. And the guy is out there being like, and the tick having like, do you want him to get in? And I was like, no. And so the taxi driver drives off and you know we're on our way home and then my phone is blowing up like oh give me your address I'll follow you along in the next taxi and I was like dude I'm sorry you're not and I was the weirdest thing about it Simone was like I still felt compelled to be polite to this guy because he was doing that I want you to be my mom and so to a certain extent that's that like messing with my head almost sort of worked like I could see how these tactics work if you know which is really scary and um I was like nope sorry and um I get all the way home to my apartment shut the door you know lie on the couch like getting ready to like eat a snack and like you know text my friends to be like this won't believe what fuck up thing happened to me tonight and he's texting me and he's like you know I missed my train to Neuchatel and it's late and now there's not going to be another train till 5 a.m please give me your address I need I need a place to crash I'll sleep on the couch. Um, you know, I just need a place to crash. Oh my God. This guy's like insane. Oh, yes. And so, of course, I said no. I hope you blocked him. Well, the sad thing is this was this was old me, Simone, and I didn't block him. And the next day I actually texted him and like apologized. I was like, I'm really sorry that, you know, we couldn't, you know, do something tonight. Maybe we'll do something another time. And then it was him who never texted me back because he realized that he wasn't going to get what he, I mean, he probably already was moving on to the next. He's, he's already set up the next day to like play this exact same game with um, some other unsuspecting woman. But I was just totally shocked. Like he was really not taking no for an answer and he was willing to like push his way. He he 100% would have pushed his way into my flat and it, this would not be a good story. So that's my that's my worst date ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I promised an embarrassing admission. I went on a variety of dates and at some point, like I've sort of dropped bits of this date or this person into the podcast, but I'm going to have to like tell the full story from like beginning to end. But speaking of like terrible tattoos, he had a tattoo on him because he was really into doing a uh, tough mutter. Oh God. That like, yeah. So doing like the it's like a from what I understand, it's like an sort of like obstacle course slash race for adults where you have to like crawl under fences and like crawl through mud and like swim and run and stuff. It's is a whole thing. He was like really into like CrossFit and stuff. I was gonna say <laughs> people make things like that their whole personality, like they make CrossFit their whole personality. Yeah, his whole personality was tough mutter and and being a douchebag. And he had this tattoo, like a Tough mutter tattoo. And I'm like, because I didn't know what it was. I was like, what? Like, why? And he's like, oh, well, after you complete the first race, if you agree to have a tattoo, it's free. And then you get like something like 
50% off your entrance fee no. for life. <laughs> and like, dude. So it's like a weird like sub club like stamp card, but it's like permanently etched on your body. Yeah, it was. That was just sort of the tip of the iceberg. And I should have run the other direction. Morbid curiosity. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. But that was like back in the day when I was giving these people more of my time. And I can't understand like why I went out with him, except that I was, I guess I was literally <laughs> drunk. <laughs> I mean, that's a good enough reason. Yeah. I mean, there's also people that I went out with. I'm like, I was literally high. <laughs> People are like, were you high? Like, it's like, yes, actually, I was. We usually end each episode with a game of fuck, Mary kill. I was thinking maybe something because we're both children of the 80s and 90s or like a favorite Ooh. bands. Fuck, Mary kill, like 90s super bands or like 90s grunge bands. Like, that could be very, like, that could be very revealing. So, like, whole Nirvana, Pearl Jam. There's also potential to do some maybe slightly more embarrassing things like the Goo Goo Dolls or, like, Matchbox 20. If you, if you think you're too cool and alternative to, like, you know, because, like, I mean, fuck, Mary kill, like, like Nirvana, like, Eddie Vedder, Kurt Cobain. Like, that's that's easy. That's, that's child's play. Put some put some stuff yeah. that's a little more cringe in there, so that I have to make it difficult to hurt me. <laughs> cringe bands that come to mind are like Matchbox Twenty, wow. Maroon Five. <laughs> Wait, was Maroon Five nineties? No. <laughs> Fortunately, we've only had them for like since the two thousands. But I feel like we could do just sort of bands that are cringe in general i'm thinking now i'm like on like a like match or um maroon five what's no. it uh, nickelback <laughs> and they're like semi kind of like they have like christian oh. undertones they sing that song like take me higher take or something higher. um yeah, yeah. who is that <laughs> yeah creed oh wait is this, is this the final lineup yeah. Nickelback, Creed. These are all terrible. Maroon 5. Oh. Do I have the option to <laughs> banish myself? Do I have do I have the option to like a life of celibacy on an island somewhere? Cuz this is this is difficult. Like like let's deconstruct this a, a bit more. So we've got we've got Creed who does like the the vaguely vaguely Christian rock. Maroon 5 which I honestly couldn't name a single song that they do. Except I, I think the lead singer is problematic, but really hot and has lots of tattoos. I think. Is he problematic? Yeah. <laughs> they sing that horrible, like, move like Jagger. Oh, that song. Every song they have is annoying that I've heard. The singer, he's not, like, super problematic. He's, like, cringe problematic. That I can deal with. As long as he hasn't, like, done anything with underage girls, like, okay, okay. no. Like his, I think his tech to this woman were leaked and people were saying they're like, his texts are like a Maroon 5 song. Like they're oh. cringe. They're like the equivalent of like, show me your boobies. Oh. <laughs> oh. And then Nickelback is a Canadian band that we kind of don't claim. 
Okay, and it's interesting that you you ID'd them as Canadian because nobody has ever ID'd Nickelback as Canadian to me. And maybe this is for a reason. Like, I just assumed they like some crappy American band. No, they're Canadian and the lead singer used to be married to Avril Lavigne. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, they're both Canadian. The thing is with like Canadian bands, like I assumed they were crappy because they're Canadian, which is because a lot of Americans don't realize that we have a law where we have to play like a certain per- percentage of Canadian content on the radio and on like our video channels, which was like back in the day when people used to watch music videos, our version of MTV had to play, I think it's like 30% Canadian content. It's good because it allowed bands like Nickelback to gain <laughs> momentum or not, depending on how you look at it. But it also means that like they're promoting sometimes people who aren't they're not all they're not all good. They wouldn't necessarily be like rising to the top in in a fair fight. Yeah, like it's good because the people who might not get a chance otherwise get a platform. But also <laughs> some people maybe who sh- shouldn't have a platform get lots of airplay. <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. All right. That that changes things. That change, so, okay. So the choices are Nickelback, Maroon 5, or um, Creed. Okay. I think I immediately have to do Canada a favor and kill Nickelback. I, I can't think of any redeeming qualities to Nickelback. Uh, so goodbye, Nickelback. You're welcome, Canada. And then I think I might have to fuck Maroon 5 because... Maybe they do have the moves like Jagger. And I mean, we've all seen Mick Jagger on stage. I mean, he's he, even in his old age, he's very sprightly. I would imagine I would imagine that he's he's quite he's quite the fox in bed. So I would probably fuck we in five and then, you know, just block him before he can send me cringy text messages. I guess I'd marry Creed. I think I'm a little bit concerned about marrying into like this christian band aesthetic and what like what is creed's expectation of me like do they expect me to have like 20 children and wear like ankle length skirt is this a little more like you know yeah christian and we play an acoustic guitar but (laughs) so i would go something similar i would there's absolutely no way i could marry Nickelback because you'll never live that down. <laughs> the Creed guys, they're super religious and creepy looking <laughs> and their music's terrible. So I think I would because it's an unknown <laughs> I would I would kill or banish them maybe to Man Island. I like that. And I think I'd fuck Nickelback and <laughs> no, no, no no because Adam Levine is super annoying I would fuck Maroon 5 because I don't like their music. And although the Lee singer is hot, she <laughs> seems really annoying. So, and I would hate to receive his text messages every day asking like, when's dinner? LOL. Uh, so yeah, I would fuck Maroon 5 and marry Nickelback. Oh, wow. Crucial. I guess I just, I just make that my identity. Just, just fully embrace it fully embrace the Canadianness of it yeah they seem nice they seem Canadian they seem solid and they have like a strangely devoted fan base so I know like we wouldn't be broke yeah and you have a nice little community of people who love terrible music which you know there are there are worse things than having a community there are (laughs) 
those terrible things are being married to Creed. <laughs> I'm sending you a picture of Creed. All right. Here we go. Ah, the shirt. Oh, my God. I had a shirt like that. Yeah. The lead singer is wearing like what looks like a sort of shiny black, possibly like faux leather shirt that's like dipped down to like almost a navel and it laces up. I literally had a shirt like that in the 90s and I would try to get away with wearing it to Catholic school. Oh, my God. This is the kind of teenager I was. Like, I would wear something underneath it. But that, like, it just, I, you know, I just wanted to express myself. And I was going to express myself with terrible clothing that apparently the drummer from Creed also wears. Maybe we should be together. Maybe we're meant to be. Maybe he just hasn't. Maybe he's a Christian fundamentalist because he hasn't met me yet. This is true. This is true. Yeah. And this might be all he needs. I mean, and if it works out, we can wear those matching shirts. And yeah. <laughs> At the very least, like if you could change them, you could probably get them to wear better clothing. Because I feel like this guy, he's actually could be cute if he had a better haircut. This picture, this is what his um, sex face would look like. Oh, 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 good Lord. Both of those are striking. <laughs> Both. Both, because you've got you've got the one in the front with his mouth just wide open, like, ah, and he's like, he's like sweating. Um, but the guy, the guy in the back, he's kind of like crinkled his nose and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like, oh, oh, good Lord. Oh, wow. yeah, no, they're bad. They, they need to go. Um, I'm saving Nickelback. They're yeah. I think they're going to Man that's Island. That's a fair. That's a fair assessment. I think Man Island would do them good. <laughs> and maybe Adam Levine from Maroon Five could like take a boat over and just spend a few days there and maybe get his texting etiquette brushed up on. Yeah, which you know, um, we could all use that from time to time. Yeah, yeah. We can all be cringe, yeah. <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> Cringe is okay. I've had so much fun talking to you. I know, you know, this is the title of this podcast is we're never doing this again, but I feel like we probably will do this again because we just have a lot in common. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I feel like we just barely that we just barely scratched the surface. And um, yes. There's just limitless possibilities when it comes to um, the cringe of dating. But also, I, I think beyond that, the the ability to um, sort of completely remake how, how we look at life and make some of these things work for us. Because I think yeah. like you can't you can't change the circumstances we're in with like, you know, dating apps and sort of like late stage capitalism and how, how disposable relationships are. But the thing we can change is the way that we approach it and the way that the way that we support each other through it. Yeah. So, Thank you so much for doing this work. Well, thank you. Like, thank you for doing the work. It's needed and it's a lot of fun uh, connecting with other people who are, you know, also doing things a little bit different. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like we need to unite because we're we're not alone and uh, we are powerful. And in making ourselves visible, we show other people that there are more options in life and there are just options to be fulfilled and happy beyond um 
buying into some of this like totally dysfunctional crap that we're handed. So yeah. And like showing that the the stereotype of like the sad single woman is not necessarily reality. I think I was much sadder when I was younger and in a relationship mm-hmm. that was a bad fit. That yes. was at my saddest. Um, and now that I don't have any of the things that society tells me I need and I'm old, oh, I'm gas if I'm older over yeah. 40 and I'm happy with myself. Um, I'm happier than I ever have been. So it Same. just just really goes to show like, you know, that that's not what happiness comes from, that we can make our own happiness. Yeah. No, I fully agree. So if people want to find you online, where is the best place to go? Okay, so I am Alyssa O. Writes across social media, but my main my main platform is Instagram, and that's where I put up those um, silly, cringy reels about uh, dating and cultural expectations and um, being a, a solo a solo female expat abroad of a certain age, uh, wacky wacky aunt in training. Um, I also have a website. It's www.alyssaorights.com, um, where I write more extensively about um, expat life and. Um, I'm a writer. If there's if there's any literary agents listening, um, I, I have a couple of novels that I, I would love representation for. I'm also working on a idea for a nonfiction book that uh, touches on some of these topics about um, of building a, a meaningful life without some of these, you know, traditional structures that we've been talking yeah. about today. So that's that's me. I can't wait to read that. I'm Simone Paget, and thank you for tuning in to We're Never Doing This Again. You can find me online at Simone underscore Paget on both Twitter and Instagram, and follow the show at Never Again Pod on all platforms. Don't forget to subscribe and support the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts.